This is the Way Cool Podcast. He's got his power level cranked up over 9,000. Here he is, your host, Luis Aquino. Yes, and thank you, Mark the Voice Guy. Excellent job as always. This is Luis Aquino. Welcome. This is episode six. Got all types of good stuff for you. We got three interviews for you this time. Usually I do try to give you two. Got three for you, including uh, an interview about LARPing. Uh, If you're not familiar with LARPing, that's live action role playing. Uh, Taking role playing on to a whole different level. You're actually getting out there physically doing stuff. We are talking about hypnotism as promised. And also I have a interview with Ehud Gat, the author of the Lilith series. Um, also a coming up RPG that you can play in the world of uh, Lilith, uh, The Operation. I have some links up on my website for that. And we're also bringing you a superhero spotlight this time. Uh, it's going to be Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Miss Marvel, a.k.a. Captain Marvel. Uh, check her out. Uh, If you don't know about that, I'm going to explain to you, break it down from her origin to where she is at now in the comic books so you can have some backstory for her upcoming movie that's coming out. Also talking about BlizzCon, Uh, Blizzards, the gaming company, they have a con that's going down in L.A. Tell you about that. So without further ado... And now, a superhero spotlight. Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, recently and uh, uh, overall badass. Her name is Carol Danvers, a full name Carol Susan Danvers. Uh, she first appeared in 1968, a Marvel character. Uh, she was in the Air Force. She was a badass in the Air Force, working alongside Nick Fury. She's worked alongside Logan, aka Wolverine, The Thing, uh, ben, uh, aka Ben Grimm, and Marvel, uh, a character who has been. Uh, I think he originally started actually to fight DC in a legal battle with the character that has later become Shazam, and uh, that gets real crazy. I'll talk about that later because today we're talking about Miss Marvel. Uh, so Marvel, he's a Kree super soldier. That's where she gets her name from. Her and her and him have like a, uh, a torrid pass where they are adventurer sidekick buddies, and I, mean, I think they got romantically involved. Um, actually, you know her her romantic story is kind of weird. She was like kidnapped, uh, and um, man, who kidnapped her? Some dude kidnapped her and like brainwashed her, and I think impregnated her. Yeah, a bunch of weird stuff happened in her story. Uh, which, you know, that happened a lot during the 80s. And if you talk to um, people who are, you know, uh, a little more liberal minded, they will probably tell you um, a bunch of stuff about the way that females were used as tropes during that time. And I think this is a this is a, a pretty good example of that. And, you know, it doesn't look good. It's pretty it's pretty uh, it's pretty gross, actually. So. Continuing on, she got her powers from being knocked into a Cree psychic magnetron. It's a reality-altering device, and that turned into her into a half Cree superhuman, kind of like Mister Marvel. Uh, after she got her powers, she took her she took on the name Miss Marvel, and uh, just continued to kick a lot of ass. She had some good space adventures out there with the likes of the Guardians of the Galaxy and things like that. And uh, during the House of M events, uh, uh, Mr. Marvel, he fell in battle. He gave her the name Captain Marvel, even though she's a retired 
colonel from NASA, but I don't know, maybe like different branches. It's like who's outranks who on a boat, a colonel or the boat's captain. I don't know. So uh, during the Civil War, she sided with Iron Man. Uh, she helped to round up all the heroes that were ducking the Superhuman Registration Act, uh, a.k.a. Captain America's forces. Um, she's always been pretty, like, pro-government, uh, a, a member of the military forces. So she is usually on the side of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Captain America and, you know, the government-sanctioned teams like the Avengers. Uh, so she's she's almost always loyal to Tony Stark in the comics, and they're 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 sidekick buddies as well uh she took a break during the days of um, norman osborne's rule of shield though when he uh, what is that a dark rain after he killed the scroll queen she she you know he became the leader of shield for a while he he replaced her with i believe her name was moonstone uh in what was kind of like the thunder uh the thunderbolt slash uh dark avengers time era uh, but after that, and um, Norman Osborn was, you know, he turned out to be a crazy man. Uh, she took up back. She took back up with Iron Man and the likes of Shield. Uh, even during the fight with the Avengers versus the X Men, she was a part of the team to take out the Cosmic Phoenix Force. They went up into space. Uh, big Iron Man Hulk, or like bigger than the Hulk Buster suit, a uh, Phoenix Buster suit. And, you know, that's what fractioned the cosmic power of the Phoenix and caused it to um, take over the five X-Men that it took over. And, you know, they got all super powered and crazy and Cyclops and Emma Frost were there. And uh, 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 what's his name in the ocean? Namor. Namor was there. He destroyed Wakanda. Like a whole bunch of stuff happened because of those guys going up there and pretty much trying to deal with a cosmic psychic force with brute strength. So that's kind of like the kind of character she is, you know, she's like a a female version of Iron Man where she's going to trust the government, believe that there's going to be a military uh, answer to a lot of these problems, try to hit it with the nuke, try to, you know, hit it with the Hulkbuster suit, stuff like that. She's usually on board for things like that. And uh, uh, she she recently took a took back the mantle of Captain uh, Marvel got an al- outfit change, and Miss Marvel is now Kamala Khan. She's a whole different character, and we'll go into that another day because uh, she's she's got a whole new story. And they do actually get together in 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 uh, some newer comic books. You can read about both of them in the same comic book, so that's kind of cool. Uh, during the events of Secret Wars, she opposed the Illuminati and was saved from the implosion of the multiverse, uh, you know, the final incursion, alongside a few other of the heroes uh, by Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic, who, you know, kind of played a, a, a crazy role in that. If you're still in the Secret Wars thing, I'm not really going to uh, uh, spoil that for you, how that one ends, because it's still somewhat new. I mean, it's kind of like a year and some change. Uh, it's it's actually kind of old, but yeah, go ahead and read about Reed Richards and in the Ultimates, he has uh, some pretty crazy. He does some crazy things in in both the Illuminati and the Ultimates. It's like Reed Richards just can't stop being a jerk. Uh, so she she he does save he does save her though and a few others and I think it's called the raft or something like that and it's a, a the lifeboat or something like that. Um, but then you can read about Miss Marvel, aka Carol Danvers, actually well uh, Captain Marvel, in um, the Ultimates two, 
You can read about her in Generations. That's the one with Miss Marvel and uh, Miss Marvel, I guess. It pairs her with the new Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan. And she also has her own title, The Mighty Captain Marvel. And that ties into the latest big story arc, which is uh, Marvel's Secret Empire, where Captain America utters the world's uh, words, Hail Hydra. You know, that's kind of come to its likely conclusion. I called that one right off the bat. But I really do like how her role plays out in this uh, in this story arc because she first she joins up with the Ultimates. Well, she's a member of the Ultimates, who is kind of whose uh, directive is to protect the multiverse, the um, what's now left of the Ultimates universe and the Earth that we live in, Earth six one six. You know, now it's the multiverse and. Uh, her job alongside a few others and Namor's on the team and Black Panther's on the team. Uh, their jobs to protect that, the multiverse. So she's like moving on to bigger, better things. She's got, already had pretty, pretty big role in a lot of the main stories. Uh, I think that her movie is going to propel her into like Wonder Woman status. People are going to know Captain Marvel. In fact, you'll probably hear like tons of comparisons, even though I don't think that they're very founded besides the fact that they're both females. Uh, uh, I guess like their personalities are kind of similar, you know, where they're just so badass and powerful that they're almost above, uh, using their logic and their and their compassion sometimes. So many female characters are driven and written with such heart. Uh, you know, Kitty Pride comes to come to mind. But um, I always felt like characters like Carol Danvers and I guess Wonder Woman too um, are written more from like a warrior's perspective. You know, they're soldiers, they're warriors, they're they're a little more hardened and grizzled towards the uh, uh, you know hardships of the world. And how ugly it can get out there and stuff. So um, check it out. I have big hope, high hopes for this movie. I, I think that you're going to see a lot of cool space stuff like you've seen in Guardians of the Galaxy. Expect to see some cameos out of those teams. And, you know, hopefully the same type of uh, humor and campiness that I think that really goes well with that sci-fi Marvel genre. And hopefully it's not too dark or they don't try to go too dark with it or anything. I think that... Um, is going to be a big hit. Uh, you'll see her alongside the Avengers. She'll be a welcome member of the Marvel Cinematic Universe team. The movie was supposed to come out in the summer of 2018, but it was pushed back to uh, early 2019. That means it's going to come out right before Avengers Infinity War Part 2 and might be like a... Um, you know, lead into that or like an epilogue of part one, kind of like a point 1.5 of that, which I'm looking forward to uh, Thanos. We're going to see Thanos and in the invent infinity gauntlet. And this is definitely going to be the uh, Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. That much has been made clear so far. So we're going to move right along to LARP live action role playing uh there's a few different types of larp and i brought a couple of guys onto the show to explain to you what is larp and um you know do they, they do a way better job of explaining it than i do so let's just go straight to the interview live action role playing all right so i'm here with alexander joseph and chris and uh, they're LARPers here in Sacramento. Uh, those of you who aren't familiar with LARP, it stands for Live Action Role Playing. 
And I'll go ahead and let uh, uh, Chris go ahead and uh, describe exactly what it is to LARP, because uh, I'm sure he can do it a lot better than I can. So go ahead, Chris. Uh, thanks for being on the show, first off. Well, thank you. This is definitely an exciting opportunity for all of us. Um, so LARPing in and of itself is actually a huge umbrella term that is that could encompass hundreds and hundreds of different things. Um, what I consider LARPing is actually would be different from what Joseph would consider LARPing as well and what Alex would consider LARPing as, as, as well. Um, so what I do is uh, a mostly combat-based LARPing, uh, which we hesitate to call it LARPing as well, um, where we just run around and hit each other with foam weapons. Uh, there's a little minor little bit of role-playing that goes along with it. Um, but if you want to go into more of the role-playing type, then Joseph would definitely be a little bit better of, of a person to be able to describe what's going on. So if you want to go ahead and take it over. Uh, sure thing. Uh, LARP. With, especially with LARPing, the role-playing aspects, basically, you play like a character you make up or sometimes even a game will create a character for you and have all these uh, attributes of what this character does. And and it's basically you just play you just uh, play them out like, okay, with the roles that you're given or maybe you want to create your own character. And then and you just basically, you, yeah, you would play as a character, you act, think, and do as a character would do, and... What if you wanted to play a character that, yes. like, everybody knows? Like, say you wanted to play, uh, uh, what's his name off The Witcher? Drawled off The Witcher. Uh, actually, there is a LARP in Poland uh, called The Witcher School, and then they, they create characters for you, uh, as far as I know. Uh, yeah, they, uh, so they, like they create characters system, for you. Kind of like Dungeons & Dragons? Actually, it's more of a you do what you can actually do, like whatever your your actual skill base in real life. That's what you actually do in the in that uh, LARP. So it's whatever your skills are, and you just hone it through in the school. Okay, so for yeah. those so for those of uh, our listeners who are familiar with um, role playing games, uh, what is like if you were to kind of explain it to somebody who's familiar with playing role playing games. Like, what's the next level? What separates LARPing? The, what's the live-action part of it, you know? You are the character. <laughs> That's essentially what it is, yeah. Uh, you, are, you are in a real place, hopefully dressed up in a certain manner, to act out, to play out whatever character you've created or whatever character you have been given. Um, in video games, obviously, you're sitting behind a screen and with controller, laptop, computer, whatever you're doing, um, and you're playing that vicariously through your remote, as to normal LARPing would be you're actually trying to play that type of character. That sounds very interesting. Now, um, you said that you have to have the attributes of the character, so a lot of these guys are, like, super heroic. Is there... So, so LARPing is a... Um, it's a strenuous activity then it's it's full-on contact you guys are doing out there so again it really depends on what we're defining larping as uh what i do and what we do at the park uh, we don't assume characters we just it's more of a more of a physical type of thing um it is kind of strenuous um i've lost a lot of weight fighting for the 15 years that i have been doing it um, and it's very, very, very limited by what you can do in real life. If I can't do it, then chances are I can't do it there either. Um, 
as opposed to like character larping, um, which Joe could go more definitely into it. So from what I so yes, from uh, what uh, I understand, oh, sorry. That, just to make sure that uh, uh, I understand this because I'm kind of a layman to it, so I know somebody coming in might be a little confused. Um, so th- it, you're not just like sitting around a table playing a role uh, playing a role playing game like Dungeons and Dragons, and you're definitely not on a video game. You're like face to face with people, and um, in the combat sense, you're like hitting each other, and that's like mo- mostly what it's about. And then uh, you said that um, Joseph does a little bit more of role playing where there's more acting involved. Is that is that am I getting this right? Yes, yes. There's a lot. Uh, yes. Uh, for when I did uh, a few LARPs, there. Um, yeah, a lot of them were like very character based. So there's a lot of acting involved. Um, also with role playing, like sometimes there's like elements like magic, and uh, which also plays a role, and which actually is very particular to American-style LARPs, especially uh, they have, like, when they portray magic, sometimes they would have, like, they would throw spell packets, like, just yell Thunderbolt, you throw a spell packet at them. Uh, that's packet? normally, that's basically like a beanbag. You just oh. take out your, like, a bag and you just throw it at them and just yell out the spell. It's very, it's very particular to American-style LARPing. Uh and then sometimes there are there are tabletop elements involved. There's one that I was just informed about called Dragon Thrones. It's basically a mixture of Risk, which is the da- which is the tabletop part, and then there's the, the live action role playing where you act out the, as the characters, and you're basically doing the whole politics and living Game of Thrones, of uh, what what was described to me. That's very that's very interesting. So yeah, that's different than what Chris was describing, where you have to be able to actually do it. Because of course, like you know, none of us can cast magic, but in your uh, in your world, uh, you 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 can actually throw beanbags at each other, hit each other with spells and stuff. Yes. Uh, and that brings uh, me to my next question. Yes. Well, my next set of questions. Uh, uh, is so? Is there a scoring is a system? Is can is there a competitive side to LARPing with a point system involved, a winner and a loser, and all that? So I can go ahead and uh, take over a certain part of that. Uh, so in the type of sports that we that I play, uh, which is they they coin it as a, a boffer type sport, which is just hitting people. Um, I would name it differently, but uh, there are there are rules involved in hit zones and what sort of weapons do what damage. And a whole a good part of playing the game is understanding these rules. Um, now. What is more popular in the quote-unquote boffer type of fighting and uh, and role-playing is tournaments. So you get really good with a certain weapon style or a certain group of people, and uh, the big events that go around here in California and in the United States and in the world, actually, uh, they hold tournaments. And these tournaments uh, are for prizes a lot of the times, most of the time just for bragging rights. Um, and you go there, you enter the tournament, and you win it or you lose it, depending on how good you are, or really how much you cheat, depending on what type of person you are. <laughs> how, um, how would you how would you go about cheating? Uh, it's really easy to cheat if you're an awful person, honestly. Uh, everything is based on the honor system. So if I hit you with a weapon, it's up to you as the person being hit to say, oh, I got hit in the arm, or oh, I got hit in the chest, or oh, I got 
whatever. Now, is it, um, like, is it like airsoft when you get hit, you just kind of like, you know, put your hand in the air. You're like, I've been hit. Or are you are you expected to be like, oh, you just chopped off my arm. And there'd be like a little bit of, you know, um, role playing. It really, it really depends on the person. The rules state that, oh, you put your hand above your head and you get off the field. But if you're that type of person that wants to lean more towards the, the role-playing aspect of it, then you can definitely do that. And sometimes the heralds or, or people who are running the fights will give you extra you know, abilities or things like that, depending on how hard you role-play your death. That's pretty cool. So what's the biggest event you guys have ever been to? Uh, you go ahead and go first, Joe. Okay, uh, the biggest one I've went to, it just happened recently, it was and it was called uh, Bikalin, which is a uh, week-long uh, LARP event, which uh, basically, if you think about it, it's like a renaissance festival meets Burning Man meets a battle game. And it's a very, it's it takes place in uh, the French-speaking uh, Quebec in, North, in the east coast of Canada. Uh-huh. And, like, there's, like, two sides of the actual... Uh, game itself there's the uh there's the battles which actually play out in real life and uh, unlike american like the american style arps we use uh realistic looking weapons so they're made of latex or or foam injected weapons so the more the so uh, just to sell the immersion and then the second part is called um it's called the virtual game so basically that's the whole campaign which all like which plays very much like Warhammer. If you're familiar with that game, yeah. that's the it's a virtual. That's the virtual world. So that's all the political moves are done there. All your pieces are moved there. And if you and if and if you want your two sides to fight, you can actually have them fight out in uh, for real with thousands of people in, on the field. That's pretty awesome. And what about you, Chris? Uh, so I've been doing this for about about 15 or 16 years now. The biggest event is actually a reoccurring one that happens, uh, used to be in Ohio, but now in Pennsylvania, called uh, Ragnarok. Uh, it's on 34 right now, so they've been doing it for 34 years now. Um, and it would essentially be everybody from across the country and sometimes from across the world be very uh, interested to meet people from Germany that are into fighting as well that come to Ragnarok and um, they have a campground set up to where you spend a week long event uh, just being immersed in whatever level of LARPing you want it to be um, so as I mentioned before I'm more of the, the buffer fighting type uh, and these battles on the field would uh, be between uh, two to three thousand people, depending on the Ragnarok. The biggest one I've ever been to had about ten thousand people. Um, but they've been decreasing in number. They usually get bigger during the five and zero events. But uh, the average about two or three thousand people come to Ragnarok a year. That sounds pretty awesome. And it looks like uh, Alex was able to join us. Uh, we had some connectivity issues earlier. Alex, you there? Yes, I'm here. Sorry about that. No, don't worry about it. Welcome. Uh, thank you for uh, being on the show. Uh, we were Thanks just for having talking me. about um, what are some of the biggest events that we've uh, that you've been to, and um, like kind of the competitive tournament side of LARPing. And uh, how about you, Alex? What's the biggest event you've been to? I think the biggest one I was able to go to as well was uh, Ragnarok. I was able to go this year. It was 2,000 people. Um, 
that one's great. You know, like seven to nine days of camping. Um, everyone's in garb, nonstop talking, you know, whether in character or out of character. It's just a whole bunch of fun. Um, you have vendors everywhere. You have fighting every day. Um, we even took one day off to go swim in the river. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Chris, uh, Chris and Joseph here have been talking about um, kind of the two different styles of uh, LARPing being it. <laughs> Um, more the physical type where you're out there just kind of whacking each other or being at the more role-playing type where you're, you know, like uh, playing as a wizard yelling, you know, fireball. And uh, <laughs> what, what kind what kind do you uh, partake in? Uh, I've, I've partaken in both. Um, both. Both in the boffer realm, they have more of the RPing and stuff. And I've also done a lot of the, uh, like, meeting up places to play vampire LARPs and stuff like that. Um, I personally like the physical aspect a lot more because instead of talking about what you're doing, you're actually doing it. So it, it's real-world training and, and seeing what you can actually do. Um, the rest of it, the RP sense usually ends up being more of a mental component, which is still a lot of fun, um, especially when you when you love building characters or worlds and, and creating stuff like that. And you guys have mentioned, like, a Boffer. Are these different leagues? Uh, no, Boffer, Boffer is basically the... Uh, the basic term for using like foam weapons to hit each other or, or things like that. So we have boffer LARPing, which would be like what we do for Dagger here or other groups like Belagarth or Amptgard. Um, and then you have regular LARPing, like you have um, people who meet up to do World of Darkness series like Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the Awakening, and uh, or Werewolf Rage, sorry about that, and, and a couple other ones like that. So you have ones where they create character sheets and then they roleplay their characters and they go off of um, the stats they have on the sheets. And then you have other ones where you use weapons or... Um, like some of the spells are done with beanbags and other stuff like that, and that's the boffer realm. And now, uh, so this is more of a boffer-related question, I guess. What's uh, mm -hmm. what's to keep somebody like, uh, you know, nerds usually have kind of a stereotype of not being like, super <laughs> physically attractive. What's to keep like the local, you know, community college football team from just getting together and coming down to the park and beating the crap out of everybody? I can actually answer that one very well. Um, so in, in real life and in buffer-type sports, your physical attributes do um, do play a, a lot of what goes on. But um, what we tend to do in, in our group and a lot of other groups is we, we train in these weapons uh, in ways that if they were real, then we would be able to use them effectively. Um, I We went to uh, SAC Anime just recently, um, and there are a lot of people there who who were a lot more physically fit than I am, and to say the very least, uh, taller, leaner, better athletic, probably could run farther than me. Uh, but I was still consistently beating them um, two or three on one. And the reason I would say that is because um, the reason that's happening is not because they're just better, they're, they're, they're better physically fit than I am, is that I know what I'm doing with what I have. Um, in terms of weapons, in terms of body size, in terms of experience. So if you were to take a athletic guy that came out of nowhere and a not-so-athletic nerd at, that came out of nowhere and throw them into the pot together, then of course the athletic guy is going to beat a lot more than the, the non-athletic guy. But if you've been doing this for a couple of years and you kind of know what you're going, then that gives you a very strong advantage of someone who is just physically fit um, and doesn't know what they're doing. Nice. That sounds like you're uh, confident in your skills. 
Yes, um, there's also that. I've uh, at Bikulin, I've met with a lot of Australians, and then their uh, their main LARP is called Swordcraft. It's also very combat oriented, and then uh, they use uh, realistic looking uh, foam weapons, so latex or foam injected. Uh, one time, they told me a story that uh, there was actually a uh, a ruffian going through their stuff. And then he looks up and see all these guys in realistic armor, clothing, and swords, and just and they rush them. <laughs> so sometimes it it uh, it's it's the way you present yourself. He uh, picked the wrong fight. But what sells it? Picked the wrong fight. Yeah. And the, Austra the, the Australians fight hard. It, I, I, sure I, I faced them before. <laughs> uh, anybody ever uh, sustain any injuries on the battlefield? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh gosh i'm the smallest guy here i fought these two <laughs> okay. uh so i guess this the best way of going about this is just listing the injuries that we've received from doing this all right go ahead uh, uh chris you go first <laughs> okay so like i mentioned i've been doing this for about 15 16 years now uh the worst injury that i've ever received was a broken rib um hey. i have sustained a lot of bruises, a lot of cuts. I actually have two broken fingers on my hand right now. Uh, I've totally broken, I've broken in total four fingers. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I can list off the top of my head without going into too much detail. All right, Alex. Uh, but injuries happens a lot. Alex, uh, for me, definitely a lot of bruises and scrapes along the way. Um, I've been fortunate enough not to break anything, but I've actually grown some extra bones from it. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of weird. Uh, Got the x-rays for it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, oh it's a weird Wolverine ability. Nice. Uh, Joseph, any missing or extra bones for you? Uh, no, I, I still have my body parts as, as, as well as I'm aware. Um, uh, let's see here. I've had a lot of bruises. I've been trampled. I've been fallen over on top of uh, in a dog pile and somehow managed to survive. Uh, I think the, I think I did uh, one injury I did get. It was from, it was at again yes it was this was at Bikalin. and then this one guy came from the side and sl and like attacked me and slammed me into a tree. And the first thing I thought, hey, that tree hurt me. That's that, it needs to be homologated. <laughs> There's no <laughs> foam covering that tree. <laughs> And uh, definitely, you know, as, we, as we're listing off things that have happened to us and other people have been hurt more, um, the sports are definitely about hurting them in-game rather than actually hurting the person. So there's a lot of safeguards or people who have uh, who have not attacked if they think they're going to hurt someone and stuff like that. So that's a really important thing for people to understand when going into the thing. Yeah, that's, that's actually correct. Good. Yeah, a yeah, uh, uh, sense of sportsmanship's necessary. I like that. Definitely. Well, you guys, it's been really fun doing this interview, and um, maybe I'll have to come down to the uh, – uh, where did you guys say you met at? Uh, met at? With the uh, Foothill Farms Community Park. Yeah, I'll have to come – actually, that's really close to where I live at. Uh, I'll have to come down to uh, where you guys um, meet up at and uh, shoot some video. Maybe you guys can show me some moves and teach me how to defend myself properly with a, a spear or something. Yeah, it'd be great. I know we have a big yeah. event coming up October 21st where we actually have some of our uh, members from Michigan coming down. So you should come out for that. There should be food as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. And um, anything that you guys would like to promote or website? You said they got an event in Michigan. Anything anything else cool going on? Yeah, I can take over for that one. Uh, so uh, thank you, first of all, for allowing us to do this. This is actually uh, quite the opportunity for us. 
Um, we are the group Metalon here in California, Sacramento. Uh, we fight, as I mentioned before, at the Foothill Farms Community Park, uh, off where Greenback meets Elkhorn. Uh, we fight every Saturday from uh, 10 till 2 in the morning, uh, 10 in the morning till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and then we have another floating practice around during the normal week. So uh, if you're interested in finding out more, uh, you can check out our Facebook, which is, uh, you know, just go in there and search up Mechalon, which is M-A-E-C-H-A-L-O-N. And uh, we're the only one that has that word, so we should be the only one that comes up. <laughs> awesome. And uh, one more time, just uh, for the, the slower people listening, uh, will you spell that one more time, Mechalon? M-A-E-C-H-A-L-O-N. It took me a couple of months to learn how to spell it, too, <laughs> and I created it. This group, Mechelon, they have a, they have that event coming up in October and um, these weekly meetings. Uh, definitely want to go down there and shoot some video and have, uh, uh, have some fun with those guys. I think that that sounds super cool and a good way to nerd out with some, with some buddies, go outside and get some exercise. Uh, real cool stuff. I like that a lot. And now we're going to go ahead and move on to BlizzCon. BlizzCon is in town, coming into town November 3rd and 4th. Uh, if you live in Anaheim, that is. Anaheim Convention Center is where it's going to be at. You can expect to see all types of uh, new releases. If you can't make it to BlizzCon uh, September 13th, well, as of September 13th, uh, virtual tickets that went on sale. If you buy a virtual ticket, you can get a two-person fa uh, faction-specific flying mount for WoW. They're pretty cool. You put two people on them, give your buddy a ride. Uh, the tickets are 40 bucks. The virtual tickets are anyways. Uh, the actual tickets, I don't know how much they were. It doesn't really matter because they're sold out. And if you have one, you know how much it was. And you're going to have a killer time. Yeah, in Anaheim. That's awesome. Uh, BlizzCon should be a big hit. And we're hopefully going to see some big reveals. I want to see a new game. I want to see some new worlds for uh, all of Blizzard's games, including World of Warcraft, uh, World of Warcraft Diablo 3, StarCraft, Heroes of the Storm, uh, Hearthstone. I, I'm, sure I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Oh, yeah, Overwatch. Uh, I want to see some new skins, maybe uh, uh, something exclusive, some cool events going on. Overwatch going to be a big topic uh, during BlizzCon, I guarantee it. Uh, you can also expect to see some art contests. They're going to have costume contests, movie contests, talent contests. Uh, that's going down November 3rd and 4th in Anaheim. As the date gets closer, we'll definitely have more updates. There's whole, not a whole lot of information on that right now, um, on what's being planned or what's going to go down. You know, a, a lot of these, like Gen Con and the video games, they like to wait for um, uh, the day to, to, you know, you you know kind of what's going to be, like, you don't know what's going to be revealed, but you know it's going to be, like, in the realm of, you know, uh, Overwatch or whatever, uh, you're expecting to see some, like, expecting to have your mind blown, and I don't think that BlizzCon's going to disappoint. This is going to be a big one. After the fact, of course, I will um, tell you all the big things that were revealed and everything that uh, has changed in the world after BlizzCon. Uh, as we get closer to the date, like I said, I'll go ahead and tell you, tell you more about what you can expect to go down there in Anaheim. Until then, though, let's uh, talk about hypnotism. Yeah, hypnotism. Uh, I brought on a hypnotist, Stephen Rollins. He does 
therapeutic hypnotism, not to be confused with stage hypnotism. We talk about that and all of the other um, misconceptions, I guess you could say, uh, uh, surrounding the um, topic of hypnotism and the school, I guess you could say, of uh, of hypnotists. So here you go. Stephen Rollins with hypnotism. I'm here with Stephen Rollins. Uh, He joins us on Way Cool Podcast. He is a uh, hypnotist. Uh, practicing hypnosis. Uh, welcome uh, to Way Cool Podcast, Stephen. Thank you, thank you. Uh, well, it's good to be here. And um, just uh, give a brief introduction of yourself. Where are you from? Where you practice at? You know, uh, what kind of uh, hypnosis in in uh, general or specific do you do? Okay. Um, right now, I live in Virginia. I'm a retired Marine. I I do have another side, another job. I do hypnosis. I'm a certified hypnotist with the National Guild of Hypnotists. And um, I, w- what we do is work with other fields and uh, to help people to you know, achieve objectives. So weight loss, smoking, pain management, getting better sleep, more sleep, um, getting over past traumas, fears, all of that kind of good stuff. And uh, thank you for your service. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, so just, just uh, real quick, first off, um, is hypnosis a technique? Is it something that you can, that you learn to do or is it like a, a supernatural power that you're gifted with? <laughs> no, it's, it's very much a technique. Hypnosis uses the same natural processes that we all do. You, you've all, you already do hypnosis. We all do hypnosis. We just don't call it that. Uh, what hypnosis does is we use the natural process deliberately instead of you doing it by accident. So, for example, let's say you were driving, if you've ever gone for a long drive and, you know, you kind of lose track of time a little bit and you find you're like, oh, wow, am I there already? You don't even remember the last half hour of the road. That's hypnosis. Okay. Okay. It's not some freaky, you know, floating. You weren't, you, you didn't, you weren't a zombie behind the wheel. You weren't the, the, the obedient slave of whatever book or music you were listening to. You know, that was hypnosis. So what, what do we say? We say, my mind was someplace else. I zoned out. I was on autopilot. Anytime you've done, anytime you've said those things about yourself, you were talking about hypnosis. So, okay, anybody, so... Can, anybody can learn this process. Uh, it's just a matter of learning and understanding the techniques and how it works and why it works. So are you saying the, the state of being hypnotized feels kind of like that, like zoning out? Uh, yeah, hypnosis, it's, it's funny. hypnosis looks and feels uh, just like the way you feel sitting in, in your room right now. This is what hypnosis feels like. It just feels just like it does when you're driving down the road. That's what it feels like. Okay, and so um, in this state, most people uh, seek hypnosis to achieve this state to, to, for some type of therapeutic reason. Am I right? Yes, you, all those things that I mentioned before. To, but it's, mo- it's very good with uh, adjusting behavior. Uh, so hypnosis works on the process of kind of getting past that big brain, that, that big brain that you got in the head and getting in touch with the subconscious, and then encouraging the, the, the positive things that you want to achieve. And uh, how, how have you seen it specifically help people? Uh, well, a couple of examples. Um, I had a friend who had fibromyalgia all over, you know, so this is full body, random shooting pain, and uh, we were able to restore quality of life by simply reducing the pain that she felt. Or uh, somebody with a, a debilitating fear, 
We've been able to get them past that part so they can function in life again. I had a friend who was with a fear of rats for 35 years. I mean, so bad that she had to take off from work uh, when if she saw one. And not just rats, anything that looked like rats. So possums or, you know, anything like that. Mice. And um, so we, you know, years of therapy, medication and everything. Hour and a half of hypnosis later, she's been fine. So, so it's really so we try to help people to to restore quality of life. So I understand, like, um, you know, definitely how a phobia and because that kind of seems like it's all part of uh, the mental the mental sphere, anyways. But you had mentioned fi- uh, fibromyalgia, uh, now a debilitating physical disease, and you're saying that you were able to cure or at least alleviate alleviate the symptoms of that without um, like medication through hypnosis. Yeah, let's be careful with that. So when I work with somebody for pain management, whatever the pain is, whatever it is that's causing the pain, you know, maybe they had a car accident, maybe they have a, you know, whatever it is, they're still physically injured. We haven't healed the ligaments or the tendons or the, you know, the 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 chemical dis, uh, the the chemical imbalance that exists. They still have to take their medication, but it's it's kind of like uh, when you're listening to your car in the radio, and you're listening to your radio in the car and you turn down the volume on the radio, have you affected the signal from the radio station to the car? No. Right. All you've turned down is how much of that you have to hear. So pain works the same way. They're still injured. They just don't have to hear all of that pain. They don't have to feel all of it. So you're saying that uh, in this case, the pain goes like from wherever the source is to the nerves but then when it goes to the brain, you're able to hypnotize someone into not feeling it. To, to feel less of it, yeah. To go take them from an eight like to a two, something like that. That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, how did you learn to do this? Um, actually, I, I got into this. My back, I have a bachelor's in psychology, uh, so I got a little, some limited exposure then. My master's is Homeland Security, but my, my bachelor's in psychology... Um, I saw I saw a hypnotist um, about 10 years ago, and it was a a friend. Well, she's a friend now, but I saw her at a conference doing a demo, and I disbelieved. I was like, I can't believe this works. This 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 can't be real. So I challenged myself to go learn. I'm an analyst, so I that's what I do. I'm 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 an analyst, so I I challenged myself to go prove or disprove, and so I got the training. You know, took the courses, got certificate, got certified, and uh, and found out for myself, and it works. <laughs> How long did it uh, did it take you to become certified? Uh, it took a co- it took a couple of months, but it, there's lots of different certification courses out there. So it, in our case, we were only going every weekend. We did one like every weekend for like three months. Uh, some courses, if they go straight in a row, it could take you a couple of weeks. You know, others are shorter or longer depending on on, your, on what course you you sign up for. That's not that's not bad. A, a couple of hours every week for a couple of months. Could you uh, possibly teach me some hypnosis tricks right now during this interview? No, that is not something I recommend. Uh, like anything else, you need to. It, the courses and training just get you started. After that, it's technique and te- you know learning techniques, refining techniques adding things there's no tricks to hypnosis it's a matter of learning it's like it's like it's like you asking me to teach you how to do how to be a massage therapist well you know it's not as easy as rub your hands on this you have to actually understand some parts of you have to actually have to understand what it is that you're doing and the effects you're trying to make 
Right. It's right. not a. It's not a trick. It's not a trick at all. Are there? Is there anything that you could uh, tell me right now that might help me? Uh, say, like, if I'm feeling um, back pain, uh, you know, if you become distracted from it or you do something else. Uh, you, you take your mind off of it. Is there any way, like when, like you know, you're trying to go to sleep? There's just absolutely nothing you can do uh, about the pain to take your mind off of it. Uh, you know, that if you try, it's going to wake you up further. Um, what is there anything that I could do in that case to like hypnotize myself so I don't feel uh, so much pain? Well, I, th- I think most people know um, kind of amateur self hypnosis techniques. You know, POWs use it to, to buy it to to get through time. People use it all the time. Sports people do it. You visualize. Um, it's I've, I've, even people I know that do self hypnosis. They say it's easier to have somebody else doing the hypnosis for them because then all they do is go for the ride. Uh, but yeah, visualization is is a commonly used self hypnosis technique. So like for getting getting to sleep, what I use is this sort of from the top of my head, a wave relaxation working its way down. And I kind of keep track of how I'm pushing that wave relaxation down through my body. And usually by the time I get to I don't I never finish. I always wake up the next morning having, you know, but once I start the process, because now my body knows that when I use that process, sleep is what's coming. And so you've kind yeah, of trained I, yourself to respond uh, to self-hypnosis. Yes. Yes, and, and most people do. And any anything that you've ever, if you've ever done martial arts or a sports again, and they t- and you've told yourself, okay, this has to be reflex. I don't, I don't have, I don't want to think about it. I want to just feel and know what to do. And when you ever you said that, you were talking about hypnotizing yourself. You're talking about getting past the conscious brain, getting in touch with the subconscious, and letting the subconscious take over because it moves faster and 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 sees and uh, takes in a lot more information than the conscious brain does. Now, that's what I find really interesting about this whole topic, Um, uh, entering a different state, you know, a a different mental state and what can be achieved through that. Um, You know, you talk about monks in Tibet who are able to uh, levitate or, you know, supposedly so. And I kind of feel like hypnosis is in is in that realm. You know, when you're talking about affecting the physical world through mental perception. Yeah, I, I can I can understand that. I and I wish they would put hypnosis over in the, when I go to the bookstore. Hypnosis is always in you know with witchcraft and the occult, and it's it, it should be over in psychology because it really is just the purest psychology. Because um, it has nothing to do with the supernatural, right? No, it has nothing to do with it at all. This is this is all the your natural process that we're doing on purpose instead of you doing it by accident. It has nothing to do with supernatural anything, and nobody's talking to spirits or or taking you, you know, or interfering with your relationship with your higher power or anything like that. This is this is just the and how same about, process that you use. And how about um uh like hypnosis maybe being in the same section of the bookstore as like magic and Yeah, illusions. I don't like that either. It's got it's got nothing to do with magic. There's no there's no so it's not a, one hand over. It's not a performance. It's not a performance no. art. No, no, you know, people, most, most people know about hypnosis by watching stage shows or what they see on television. Rarely do we get to see the therapeutic aspects of hypnosis done seriously. Um, Can you do you know, that? And, and those guys are, I'm not a stage hypnotist, and God bless them, they're, 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 they're using techniques, the same kind of techniques that we use therapeutically for, for entertainment purposes. So, but, but it exaggerates 
and um, yeah, it exaggerates how hypnosis works for effect. But that's not what that's not the real therapeutic part of things. Let, let's be real, Stephen. Do you think that some of those people are just straight up faking? Maybe there's plants in the crowd. Uh, maybe they just want to, you know, make a good show because they know people are there to be entertained. Uh, oh, sure. Do you think do you, do you do you think that might be true? Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. There's there's some people, you know, now that I now that I've been a hypnotist, I can sit in the crowd and look because I still enjoy a show. And I go to the show and I can say, uh, not he's not in. She's not in. He's not in. OK, they picked him off. She's not in. You know, but by the same token. I think some people don't don't some people don't want to embarrass themselves, you know, so they, they pull themselves out off the stage. I would say that if, if you if you watched an average show, they start with like 20 people and they end up with like three. Right. Uh huh. And of those of those three, probably one or none of them are being hypnotized for the first time on stage. They've been hypnotized before. They enjoy it. They, they had a lot of fun with it. And they and they and they, and they enjoy it. Um, I get people that come to me that pay me for hypnosis that sometimes don't get it. Don't go into trance that first time around. So it's it's and and I've had people that I knew went into trance very deeply that got up on a stage for a show that didn't go into trance at all, and, you know that's because they have no rapport built with that with that hypnotist. They don't they don't there's no trust factor built up, and that and they're on stage. There's 300 people looking. They didn't want to be embarrassed, so she didn't go into trance. You know, so it can happen. That's not to say that none of those people on stage ever are in, are put in the trance for the first time. A lot of people do go in. I've had so people. So you're saying it works both it works both ways that that yeah. uh there, there there might be some people faking it but there might be some people who normally would be hypnotized but uh because of the the uh the setup and everything they're not. Right, yes. Okay, yeah, I, that that makes sense. Um do you feel like that uh those type of hypnotists, the show hypnotists make um your profession look phony? No, I I I think we I think we as citizens look at them as phony, uh, but but uh, you know they're they're providing an entertainment, they're providing a service, they're providing entertainment value, and it's, it's just if you, people just don't know enough about what they're looking at to be able to discern if it's phony or not. So how, how do you respond to critics who might say that uh, hypnosis in general, uh, the whole thing is phony? I would tell them to find out for themselves. Now now most the most pop, most of the population can go in the trance. You know, let's call it 95%. Most people can go in. And don't think of it as being susceptible. You know, if you know somebody that can't dance, nobody ever says they're not susceptible to music. True. Right? True. So, so it's more like a talent of being able to go in deeply. If you think of like a bell curve, some people go in kind of shallow. Most people go in somewhere in the middle. Some people go in very deeply. So uh, it, it's not... You'd have to find out for yourself. If, but but the one group of people that can't that, that for sure can't be hypnotized are people that know that somebody's trying to hypnotize them and they don't want to be hypnotized. So if you're just going to sit in a chair and go, I dare you to hypnotize me, you know, then yeah, you're right. You're not going to go in any. You're never going to go in. Okay, so you're you're <laughs> you're saying that you can't unwillingly hypnotize somebody. I'm saying that somebody that knows that I'm trying to hypnotize them and doesn't want to be hypnotized won't be hypnotized. Okay, okay. But so I'm trying to make sure I'm wording that correctly. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of ways that we get hit. If you had to be hypnotized for a suggestion to work, you'd never see a commercial on television. Right. 
Right. Okay? You'd never see an ad in a magazine if you had to be hypnotized. There's all kinds of waking hypnosis techniques that salespeople learn and stuff like that. Ways to try to convince you to, to, to make a decision that maybe you didn't come into the car lot that day to make. So when you're under a state of hypnosis, do you remember what is going on? Yes. Well, most of the time. Uh, some people do, some people don't. Uh, they're, they're, they're listening. It's funny because they'll say, I heard him say that. And I thought, no, that's not going to happen. And, but it did. <laughs> you know? um, some people do more than others, uh, especially, with, especially with therapeutic hypnosis. Uh, sometimes it's not necessary for them to, you know, I'm talking to, I'm working with their subconscious. So sometimes consciously they're, they're, what do we say? My mind was someplace else. Right. Sometimes they're someplace else and I'm working directly with the subconscious. And then when the conscious mind comes back in, they have this new, this new reality that they're working with. So is the state of hypnosis, is it more of a, it's not like an on and off switch. It's more like a, a spectrum, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, so that kind of leads to my next question, which you had actually brought up when, uh, when we were prepping for the show. Um, so can you get stuck then? Can you get stuck in no, the state it, of hypnosis? So your subconscious hates, the answer is no, and uh, your subconscious hates having nothing to do, which is why we dream. Because even while you're, while you're consciously, you're asleep, your subconscious is like, woohoo, let's, you know, let's do something else. Um, so what I have seen is people who are under extreme stress really enjoy the relaxation that comes from hypnosis. So, you know, I'll, maybe we're done with a session and I'll, you know, try, do an immersion for them to come out of trance and they stay there for a second. It's like, wow, this person's really, you know, they really need this rest. Like this lady I'm thinking of her, she had already lost one child. Her, her, her husband has a terminal illness. Her daughter, her rem one remaining daughter, is in a wheelchair. She's been holding the family down by herself for months. Mm. You know, so yeah, when she had a chance to get some genuine relaxation in, I mean, peace, peace of mind, her body soaked it up. Her subconscious soaked it up. So I let her sit there for another five minutes, and then she came out on her own. It's very interesting. But, but, but you're not going to get stuck. Is, is that, am, I, am I clarifying the difference? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like, say if you were to hypnotize me uh, and then we lost our Internet connection, like, uh, you know, and then I'm sitting here in a in a, in a hypnotic state uh, stuck until, you know, somebody comes here and speaks the magic words. But nobody knows how to get a hold of you or even that I've done this interview. So nobody knows the words. And, yeah, they just they figure like I just, you know, had a brain slip or something. That, yeah, that that doesn't happen. Like I said, the, so. The subconscious hates having nothing to do. So after about 30 seconds of not hearing anything, not getting instructions, not having any direction, it would just pull you out of trance and your, subcon your conscious mind would take over again. You'd come out of trance. Okay. So that, that kind of brings me back, and we, we, we touched on this earlier, about uh, uh, if this is really just for the weak-willed. So like, when does unwilling to be hypnotized and just skeptical, like say I'm a skeptic, right, and I say, okay, Steve, uh, Stephen, prove this to me. And I sit in the chair and like, I'm, I'm trying to let you hypnotize me. But in my mind, my, you know, my subconscious is fighting back, uh, or at least my consciousness is fighting back against my subconsciousness. And I don't enter a hypnotic state. And I say, all right, Stephen, I, you, you've been debunked. 
Um, but you say, well, n- you were just unwilling to do it. That that, that can happen. I, what I what I see most often, because you know, first off, it's a it's a waste of your time to come into my office and pay me for hypnosis, and you're going to sit there and say I'm not going to let you hypnotize me. Right. That's like going to the it's like going to the to, to massage envy and and saying I'm not going to relax for you to massage me. <laughs> yeah. You know? Plus, if you have a pain or something, you might be desperate in search of something that will help you. So you, you know, you might be willing to try anything at this point. Yeah, possibly. The, what I see most often is people that say, you know, I don't think I can be hypnotized. I'm really strong-willed. I'm really, you know, headstrong. People are always getting on me about being too headstrong. So I don't think I can be hypnotized. And usually those guys go in great. Oh, yeah. They, because they're 100%. When they feel a certain way about something, they're 100%. So when I say, are you willing to give it a chance? Sure, sure, I'll give it a try. <sighs> then they're out. <laughs> right. All right, well, uh, uh, can, can you, can you uh, we have a couple of minutes left here. Can you uh, um, do some, some hypnotic therapy on me right now? No, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't want to do something like that right now. Because uh, I'd have to learn, I'd have to know more about you. Have to, again, it's not a trick. I'm not a magician. I'm not doing sleight of hand here. It's a therapeutic technique, so I have to d- develop a rapport with you, understand what you, you know, understand a little bit about you, and then we do some kind of a general, re- you know, some kind of in- induction process because it's tailored. It's, right. It's, it's therapeutic hypnosis is very tailored. Um, but I can tell you that you don't you don't have to actually going back to the other question. You don't have to actually believe in hypnosis for it to work. Some people you know, don't don't believe in antibiotics. They still work. Right. <laughs> you know, so the, the process is what works. And uh, even if it doesn't work, the, usually if, if I get somebody that, that um, where, do, where nothing happens the first time around, it's usually what you described is that they're, um, they're still a little guarded. They don't know what to expect. They're defensive. They're, you know, because you so. can't guard yourself against antibiotics. You can't be like, oh, I'm just not going to just not going to work on me, you know, and then it's going to it's going to yeah. do what it's going to do. Well, this is definitely a cooperative process. This isn't something I do to you so much as I'm like the guy that helps you to get there. This is very interesting, Stephen, and uh, I'm definitely going to be looking into hypnosis on my own, and I'll, I'll do a follow-up on this. And, and uh, if, if you were closer to me, you're over all the way on the East Coast, but if you're closer to me, then uh, I, I would go visit you, but maybe I'll find someone local and see what's what with hypnosis. The distance doesn't matter. I work over webcam. I have clients all over the country and even in Europe. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll have to do some private sessions, and then I'll do it. We'll do a, a more public thing where we I talk about you know what we've accomplished. That would be fantastic. Love to. Cool, cool. Anything you would like to talk about or promote in these last uh, couple minutes? Uh, just that if anybody's interested, if anybody's interested in hypnosis, they should find out for themselves. Go ahead and uh, you know find a local hypnotist, find somebody that, that they have some trust in, and, and give it a try for themselves. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much uh, for doing this interview, Stephen. And uh, uh, this is a way cool podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, and you'll see um, uh, Stephen's stuff posted on there too. Thank you. Take care now. Yeah, totally not gonna lie. That guy blew my mind, opened my mind to a lot of uh, the truths about hypnotism. It just seems to make so much sense. Yeah, we all been in that state, you know, that he described, and um, yeah, you know. 
I, 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 I'm much more of a believer now. I was definitely a skeptic about all of it going in and uh, did definitely think that it was more along the lines of illusionists and, you know, uh, uh, stage performers and things like that. But I can definitely see, you know, the, the mind is a powerful thing and it would be ignorant to, you know, think that people are out there. Everyone's out there just trying to lie to you or something, you know, who's, who's doing this therapeutically. And yeah, I thought that was a, a real eye opener. If uh, you felt the same way or maybe you disagree, you think that it's the devil's work, maybe, I don't know, whatever you might feel, uh, uh, hit us up on Facebook, get a conversation going. Uh, we're also on Instagram, Twitter, and SoundCloud, or waycoolpodcast.com. That's the website. Uh, uh, wherever you're listening to this, hopefully you're you're listening to it and not one of those places. So hit us up in the comments and tell us how you found it and um, let us know how you're how this is getting out there to you. Um, lots of uh, uh, push on that front, trying to get you out there to all these different places. You know, we're now on, I believe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, you submit it to Spotify and yeah, let us know where you found Way Cool Podcast. I also want to talk about this book series called the Lilith book series. Uh, my buddy Ahood, he's the author. Him and his wife worked on this book. Uh, it's set in this world in the distant, distant future after we have been visited by uh, beings from another planet, uh, space beings. This is a hardcore sci-fi mixed with a bit of dystopia. Uh, the Lilith series uh, brought... A hood on to way cool podcast to uh, talk about his book and uh, just talk about the world. And, you know, I think it's a cool, it's a cool concept and a cool world that he's developed here. So check it out without further ado, a hood gat author of the Lilith series. All right. So I'm sitting here with uh, a hood gat while we're talking over Skype and uh, he is the author of the Lilith series. And um, uh, thanks for coming on the show. That is way cool podcast. And uh, go ahead, man. Tell us what your, um, what your book is about. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, the Lilith series is a sci-fi series about 300 years in the future. Uh, mankind and an alien race called the Orions are in the locks of a very, very uh, violent war. And um, in through it, um, as the Orions are making their final moves, basically ready to defeat mankind... Um, there's a small group of space marines aided by a very enigmatic uh, bounty huntress by the name of Lilith that find themselves in the heat of things trying to save humanity. Uh, that's the, the basic premise. The, um, the first book, which actually chronologically is the last, happens right after the Orions actually make their endgame move and... Earth and all of the, uh, the the colonies on the solar systems just go silent, and there's only one colony outside the solar system that's uh, free, and, and this is where it starts with Lilith and those Marines there trying to maintain order as society as we know it basically comes to an end. And uh, does this happen like in our timeline? Is this like distant future? Yes, it is. Um, 
It happens, the, the, that book happens uh, around uh, the 24th century on our timeline. Um, I think it's uh, 2312, the, the exact year. Um, so approximately although, well, 300 years from now. Yes. Um, of course, um, it's a very, very different kind of human society, uh, both in uh, technology and in the way uh, people conduct themselves. Uh, the, the whole of humanity is united under one government, although it's a federal government kind of uh, very much like the federal government of the USA, where, you know, the states have their own individual powers. And if you go from one state to another, or in, in the case of what is called Earth United, from one colony or province to another, uh, you'll find different culture, um, different norms, occasionally different laws. Uh, but as as a whole, mankind is actually united. They left behind uh, the, the petty differences of religion and race and sex and all that. It's, they've so grown it, past that. So it all works out in, in your timeline. Uh, it's not a dystopia. It's it's kind of like a, more kind of like Star Trek, like a federation of uh, advanced advanced people. Yes, it is. Um, in my view, I think uh, a lot of uh, difference-based disagreements are uh, because of ignorance. People uh, fail to see the the uh, advantages of the other side or the different opinions or the different people. And I think that as we become more open, as society becomes more open to, to different ideas and, and more cultures, then mankind actually comes together. Um, and I think that especially with the outside threat of an alien race, it's kind of hard to feel a difference from one guy to another because of skin color or, or uh, sexual preference when you have a, a real alien race that's you know they're all looking at you as humans they're not thinking uh race or color or um yeah, or, or preference or religion their differences kind of unify uh the the people of earth because like you know it's a comparatively uh you know the them is now like something out of out of this world yeah literally out of this world yes so, so do we get along with the with our new alien brethren? Or are we? Are they? Is it uh, right not really? Path? It is um, actually uh, the war starts almost immediately after first contact. Um, the uh, Earth United history shows that the uh, Orions, those aliens, um, they attacked first in uh, one of the uh, outer colonies. And as uh, military intelligence believes, their intent is to uh, quell mankind, not allow it to expand, maybe even completely destroy it. And this is a war that has been fought for almost a century at this point in the timeline. Um, the, the Orions have the technological advantage, but mankind is very fierce, especially when they have nothing to lose. And so... Uh, there is a, the war is almost stalemated, and it is when the the story starts that the Orions actually make a 
their end game move and suddenly overwhelm Earth and mankind. That sounds very, very cool. And um, how many books are in the series so far? Right now, there are two. Um, the first one actually tells that story, the end of the war, basically. The next one is actually more of a, a prequel, because as I was writing that first one, it was intended as a standalone book. Um, but you can't write 300 years into the future without creating a whole history of what happened in between. And I realized there was this really great, amazing universe that I created, and there were a lot of stories worth telling. So this is the the the, the actual series from from that first book actually goes backwards in time into the height of the war. It stays with the same characters, but as they were younger and what they were doing. Um, there's another book that the second book is uh, happens about a. Uh, four and a half years before the first book, um, working on a third one in the trilogy. Yeah, well, it's going to be a trilogy for now. But you're, uh, but you're actually creating this whole, oh, this whole world, so you could do as many books as you want it, because it sounds like there's a lot of stories there. Yeah, and um, I'm hoping to keep on working with it. It's, it's a very uh, complex and, and uh, colorful universe. There's... Um, a lot, a lot that you can do when you're thinking about history of a future that hasn't been. You have a lot of creative liberty, and I've been working with it. Um, I mean, I know that if we look like at Star Trek, uh, the, the history of Star Trek before the Federation, but after our time, is fascinating. The the first contact with the Vulcans, um, things like the eugenics wars, and and things like that. And in the same way that the Lilith universe, um, there have been 300 years in between now and then, and a lot has happened. And I feel like I can touch so many things. Uh, so I'm not planning on finishing writing that universe anytime soon. Yeah, that sounds like there's, there's tons there. And, and speaking of... Um... You know, doing what you want in this universe. Uh, you said that you had intended to turn it into a role-playing game, kind of like Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, um, one of the things that I have found as as a role player is there's a big challenge when you uh, create a role-play adventure. Uh, you want to have a wide world for your adventures to play in. And a lot of times you have to rely on things that already exist. This is why things like uh, Star Trek or um, Star Wars or uh, Lord of the Rings universes, they are very, very uh, conducive to role-playing adventures because you have this expanded universe that exists there. There's a lot of knowledge that you can use in order to create your adventure locations and... Uh, uh, different creatures, monsters, um, beliefs, uh, things like the Force in Star Wars, or um, and and a lot of history you can lean on, and um, like uh, the Star Wars again. If you look at the Old Republic, it it gives you something you can build on, 
and as I'm as I'm creating this this amazing universe with uh, different colonies and uh, people with with very different kind of uh, cultural uniqueness, like people that grew up in the asteroid belts that are very thin because they grew up on a very uh, low gravity world or uh, things like that. There, it, it gives me a lot of uh, setting where I could put in a, a role-playing adventure. As a veteran uh, dungeon master or game master, I, I really enjoy going into a world that's already prepared, and I have something there. I'm really looking forward into turning this into a role-play adventure. Yeah, with the... Um, well, well, it's great with... When you put something in our timeline, is the as the audience can kind of write their own stories, you know, by filling in the blanks of what they think. How how could we have gotten there? You know, how could this have gotten to this point? And then you know, your imagination just goes from there. So like uh, being able to play it out and roll some dice and you know, like actually play out that what you think is is going on in this world. You know, that sounds like a lot of fun. It is. Um, I think. I mean, when when you write a story, especially one like so far in the future, there's a lot of historical references. Like today, we reference uh, the the Second World War or uh, the Lincoln assassination because those are uh, events of historical importance. Now, 300 years from now, who knows what are going to be those those historical references you you turn to when you want to make a point. So there's a lot of things like that in the book, and people would be like, "Wow, I wonder what this actually was." And they can play that time. There there has been a a, a really big war between uh, Pakistan and India that ended up with a nuclear exchange, for example. And that's hundreds of years before uh, the the actual stories. So you have a lot of freedom if you wanted to play that period. Right. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. You. So, so and there's a lot of uh, factions that are mentioned and, and different, um, different ideas and, and different uh, groups that, that, don't necessarily take a lot of uh, part in the books, but if you go a little bit further or a little bit backwards, you can use those as a setting for your own plots, and there's a lot of freedom there. And it's kind of nice when, um, I mean, if you read the books and, you know, large metropolines like a moon port on the moon are... are, uh, uh, mentioned or or planets and you can take those that they're already there and say well let's see what i can do over there how can i mess this up right that's that's kind of like a big part of uh role playing is like you know you want to you kind of want to go into uh, somebody's world they created and, and make a mess of it yeah i know that uh, as a game master i have had a lot of fun playing in the Lord of the Rings world and in uh, the Dragonlance world with uh, without uh, characters that I was familiar with, but in settings that I was familiar with, with uh, fighting Uruk-hai near Helm's Deep, yeah. for example. That was just fantastic. I could see myself there um, 
and I'm really looking forward to seeing people that uh, may have never even spoken with me and they've read the books and they want to have an adventure. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they would make of this world that I created and now they're expanding on and they're contributing to. I think it would be wonderful. Yeah, um, once the fans get a hold of something, it really does just take a life on its own, you know? Yeah, it does. And, and I'm looking forward to that. I, I started writing because I had these wonderful stories in my head, this, this amazing places and people, and I wanted to share them with the world. I think um, I'm looking at a lot of the fan fiction and role-play adventures that you see from, like, the great franchises, Star Trek and Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. And it is fantastic to see what people take these um, existing universes and do with them. The amazing things people create, if you just give them a little bit of uh, background and give them freedom to use their own creativity. Yeah, definitely. Um, your main character, Lilith. Uh, how would how would you describe her? She is uh, one of those characters that it's kind of hard to decide if she's a bad guy or a good guy. Um, she's uh, in her own description, she is mostly human. She, um, on the one hand, a very intelligent, very driven woman. Um, she has her goals, and she's not going to let anything stand in her way of getting her goals. Uh, a lot of times she'd get to them by stepping on other people if she has to. But on the other hand, she's also very um, morally um, – she, she has a conscience, and it, it, it keeps on interfering with her ambition and her uh, – driven nature so she's constantly in a conflict with herself um, a lot of people find her as very uh, intimidating very threatening because she's she's not afraid of showing her own uh, qualities her intelligence especially she looks down on people if she feels like they're not as smart as she is uh -huh. um, she can be very violent and a lot of times without any real justification. She's not the, the kind of person that would say, oh, well, it was self-defense I had to protect myself. It was more like, well, I could, I could beat them, so I did. All right. Uh, Unashamed. Yeah. And um, it puts her in a very interesting position because on the one hand, she really she she looks at her uh, position as I do what I what I do because that's what I gotta do, and she doesn't make any apologies for it. But on the other hand, she does question herself. I mean, are, am I doing the right thing? Is this really the right thing to do? Um, she's uh, a loner. She's she does not play well with others. That sounds and like a good is... character. You know, the best characters are, are, are morally gray. You know, like, uh, that's one of the reasons why I don't care for Superman too much as a character, because he's, most of the time, he's just the blue boy scout, you know, unless someone, like, yeah. controls him or something, you know? 
Yeah, Superman uh, is is incapable of doing wrong. That's um, and I do have um, uh, the opposite character to her in many ways. She's uh, also one of the good guys. Uh, her name is Lana, and she's one of the Space Marines. And she she's one that would never. She 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 really is the the blue boy boy scout um, kind of type. She would. She would die before she'd do something that would be morally wrong or even morally ambiguous. And it's the clash between the two of them that that um, really brings to light the differences. Because you, on the one hand, you have someone that is just not going to let morals stop her from getting where she wants to go. And on the other hand, someone that uh, feels that the way you get to somewhere is just as important as the uh, the, the the end product. That the end does not justify the means. The means are just as important. That sounds like a, a good uh, a good foil. You know, a good a good dynamic there. Yeah, I I feel that it is. Um, it actually kind of. The funny thing was it kind of got out of my hands as I was writing it. I originally did not. Uh, see Lilith as that kind of a complex character. It was as I was clashing her with Lana and the two of them were very much at odds that I started seeing the the, the uh, complexity and the depth of character that it takes to be morally, as you said, morally gray, not quite a good guy, not quite a bad guy, somewhere right there in between. Yeah, well, it sounds like, uh, Ehud, it sounds like you have a uh, deep love for your characters, which I know is important when you're writing a, a universe like this. Um, is, in these last few minutes, is there anything that you would like to promote and let the audience know? Well, um, both uh, books that are already published are on Amazon. Um, they're, uh, I, I don't know if you could like put links or uh, whatever. Yeah, I'll, I'll have you uh, put on links. And um, other than that, I am working on the uh, RPG system. I'm not quite finished with it, um, but it's going to be something that's kind of based on uh, the GURPS system. Um, I'm not going to have the whole hit points and um, that kind of uh, um, life there, but rather, you know, if you get hit, well, you're in trouble. I mean, we're talking about this is the future. You got laser and plasma weapons. They're not, they don't, you know, do uh, scratching hits and that. You can't take uh, multiple plasma blasts, you mean? <laughs> unfortunately, no. Um, your character is, is, is a, a, a human or, or, or humanoid, probably. And yeah, uh, if you take something that's burning several times hotter than the surface of the sun, yeah, that's not going to look good. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to scratch this off with a little bit of a potion. So uh, I'm working on something that's more... Um, basically, you have your luck... If it gets through your coverage and your armor and all that, well, you better hope you have enough luck to uh, avoid getting hit. Um, it's, it's going to be a little complex, but I think it will work well. Um, I would, uh, if, if people would like to contact me, I have my Facebook page, and I'm always happy to talk to people, listen to people. I love hearing what people have to say, and 
yeah, I think that's basically it. All right, yeah, I'll put all of those links on the website and um, uh, a hood gat. You can reach out to him on Facebook. I'll include your your information and uh, how to get get your book and um, eventually how to play that RPG. Yeah, I I really hope to have that one uh, maybe even ready by the end of the year, like a really fleshed out system that people can just take it into their hands, read the uh, the quick reference, and start playing. Excellent. I'll be uh, I'll be happy to volunteer as a play tester once it gets to that point. That would be awesome, Luis. All right, man. Thanks again for uh, for coming on the show. Uh, that's Ahood Gat, author of the Lilith series. Uh, thank you again. Yeah, thank you, Luis. So that is episode six. Thank you again uh, for listening. Please remember to share it with your friends. Hit us up in the comment section of wherever you found us and say hi. Uh, Love to talk to you. Um, I personally answer all of that stuff. Uh, so yeah hit me up engage engage in a conversation way cool podcast and if you got a comment for a hood or steven or one of the larp guys uh let, i'll forward it on to them or they're actually probably already going to see it and they'll be happy to talk to you about anything that you heard in here so hit them up and make sure you visit their websites that they promote it uh, make sure you share this one all the links will be included and uh yeah thanks to you again thanks to ant beats for making a lot of these beats and um also thanks to mark the voice guy for doing this uh doing the the what you call it at the beginning there and thank you to all you guys out there who share the show and like the like you know the episodes and stuff uh uh, couldn't do it without you so keep up the good work and make sure your friends know about it and come back for episode seven where we will be talking about how to be a professional gamer you want to be a play video games for a living This is the way to do it. Step-by-step instructions from somebody in the industry, Jordan O'Hara. That's coming up episode seven, how to be a professional gamer, make a living playing video games. Uh, Thank you again for listening. This is Way Cool Podcast, Luis Aquino signing out.